You know, before I start, uh-oh, going off script. Um, no. um, saw something this morning, and I, I know many of you know uh, Chris Stickle. Um, so I want us to remember her this morning. Uh, Chris's father uh, went home overnight, um, early this morning, and uh, she's been walking beside him through a, uh, a battle with leukemia, um, and it was, her mom has also uh, been really, uh, really uh, faithful and, and stood by him. They kept him at home as long as they could. He went into hospice this past week. So um, really want to ask uh, that you remember Chris. If you know Chris, you know, when you see her, give her some love that I know, I know how this church can uh, let her know that we're, we're praying for her. We're going to start, we're going to pray together uh, and, and be with Chris uh, together as a body. Father, thank you so much for, uh, for your word and your promises in your word. Father, I know that in times of grief, uh, they can be very uh, comforting. It can sustain us. And Father, you, uh, you give us life. Um, and uh, Father, there are times where uh, we walk in, in trouble, but your word says you, you will have trouble, but you've over, take heart, you've overcome the world. And Father, we ask that you are with Chris and her family uh, as they mourn this loss. Um, but I know in heaven that celebration is great. Father, we ask uh, you to be with Chris and her family and be with this body as they, they love her through uh, this struggle. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, everything has a beginning. Everything has a start. And today is a new beginning. It's, it's, a, it's a fresh start. You know, when I started here at Nicholson, uh, Todd Stewart, anytime I would come downstairs, Todd Stewart would say to me, uh, you uh, don't get down here a lot, and not everyone knows you, so you need to introduce yourself. So what I'm going to tell you, church, is this is the last time I'm going to introduce myself, okay? Because <laughs> now I'm going to be down here a lot, so I, but I do want to tell you a little bit about me, because there are some, some visitors with us today. There are some people that I have not met having some technical issues. We're good. Michelle just waved her hand. We're, we're good. Um, my, my name is Adam Lay, and, and we are uh, humbly and honored uh, and excited to accept the role of senior minister here at Nicholson. I am um, very excited for the future, and I hope uh, after today you start to see glimmer, glimmers of, of light uh, about where we are headed as a, as a body. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about me. I came here in 2015 uh, as the part-time children's minister, um, and uh, there shortly after moved to full-time. Uh, during that time, worked with kids and, and with families, and uh, then uh, in 2018, uh, Dusty and Kara transitioned to their new church home, uh, which was their old church home, uh, where they went back home, and uh, the elders uh, saw it fit that I would transition to be the family minister here. Um, and as Larry announced his uh, retirement resignation, he uh, and the elders and I and we all prayed and worked very hard and, and the call was made and, and we feel very, uh, very honored to be here. Um, my wife Michelle uh, is back in the booth. She uh, and I have been married uh, for 13 years um, and we have four girls, um, three of which are down here, uh, Lily, Esther, and Regan. They're all nine. Girls, why don't you stand up for just a second? Um, if you haven't figured it out yet, they're not triplets. Um, <laughs> So, uh, Lily and Esther will be 10 here in just a few weeks in February, and Regan will be 10 in, in June. 
We also have Selah, who is three. She'll be four in February as well. Um, I am horribly outnumbered at my house. Um, we are an all-girl household. We do have one boy cat. Um, we did have one boy cat, and he ran away. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not kidding. I wish that was a joke, but he, re- he literally took off and has never come home. Um, I'm hoping the other one lasts. Uh, we got him with his sister, so I think he's partial to his, his sister. Um, but that is, that is a, little bit, uh, a little bit about me. I, uh, I am, again, very, very, very excited uh, about where we are headed. And you know, in that first passage of Genesis, that the first line of Scripture, you find out that there is a whole lot of God-sized vision in the opening couple of chapters of Genesis. I like it. Are we good? Are we good? I, I like the, uh, you know, we can, we can hurry things along, Paula, if somewhere to be. Oh, this is why I don't use PCs anywhere. This is why I'm a Mac person, right? Uh, All right. Somebody said amen. I heard that. Amen. All right. Have you ever considered, though, outside of this God-sized vision, have you ever considered how short-sighted our human-sized vision is? All right. When it comes, especially when it comes to God and creation. Let me, let me show you what I mean. When we hear in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, we get the sense that everything just happened, that everything just started. But God didn't. God didn't just start it. God was there. God existed. When we read this verse and similar ones like it, we have, come, we have to come to the logical conclusion that it isn't possible for human comprehension to measure the unmeasurable. It isn't possible for us to limit the limitless. The Bible tells us that God created all matter in the entire universe. So when we come to, to come to God's word, we can come with an expectation. There is one who was wiser than all of us and not bound by our limitations of time. In fact, God is the creator of time. We see that unfold in the beginning of Genesis. When studying the Bible in regard to the past, the present, or the future, we come with this expectation that there is one who logically claims to know all and is existent from everlasting to everlasting. So how short-sighted are we? I want, to wa- I want you to watch this. There's no sound in this video, but I want you to take a look at this. All right? You can pretty much tell where we're going. Okay? We're going we're gonna to zoom out enough and you're going to see the planet Earth. All right? So here we are. Okay? All right. Planet Earth, and we're going to keep going out, all right? Now, you're going to start to see some things that might look somewhat familiar, but this is interesting because about right there, you really are not able to pinpoint the Earth with even like the ballpoint head of a pen. And we're going to keep going, and, and you're going to start to see it get a little messy, right? A little messy, and, and this will probably look also very familiar to you, all right? Galaxy right? Milky Way, okay? And then we're going to keep going out, and as we keep going out, you're going to start to see other light, because now that Milky Way is even really far away, and you're going to start to see other light. And a lot of people would assume those are stars. Those are not stars. Those are representative of other galaxies. All of that light include galaxies. So, And on top of that, look at these images. These have come to us from the Hubble telescope. 
Look at this. All right, pretty awe-inspiring to see how God designs. Look at this one. And this next one, this next one, when I first saw this, this stopped me in my tracks. If you've seen the Helix Nebula, the Helix Nebula, it's also by NASA called the Eye of God Nebula. And this next photo, this next photo just sends chills up and down my spine. Look at this. From the Hubble Telescope. How can you look at that and deny the existence of an all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe? It is beyond me. It's beyond me. Now, just listen to this. In 2016, the Hubble captured an image revealing 10 times more galaxies, galaxies, than NASA previously thought existed. But that's nothing. In 2019, just three years later, astronomers revealed a new picture of the deep universe. And in this picture, it contains approximately 265,000 visible galaxies crammed into a region in the sky no, that, that is actually smaller than our moon. So the, the moon... There are 265,000 galaxies that, it, it put together, that come together in a space that is smaller than the moon's size. I'm absolutely envious of God's ability to cast vision. Having vision for our lives, for our relationships, and for our church should be inspired. All of those should be inspired by Him. He sets the perfect example. He sets forth the 2020 vision, the perfect vision, and it should be what we strive for. So, so what is vision? What is it? George, George Barna defines it this way. Vision is the insight God provides to instruct and direct our paths, a reflection of what God wants to accomplish through us in building His kingdom. He goes on to say that vision is the heartbeat of your church. So when I have worked through visions for myself, for personal vision, or organizations I have, I've worked for or managed, I have used a lot of these characteristics. And I'm going to share these with you. There are five of them. Visions, vision must be clear. It must be concise. It must be compelling. It must be catalytic. And it must be contextual. Now, when you identify vision that are those five things, encompassed by those five things, and you strive for them, I believe vision becomes one other thing, and it's another C word. Vision becomes contagious, and we all want our vision to be contagious. But for our purposes today, I want to unpack vision through a few lenses, and the first of those lenses is that vision is a God thing. Now, if you haven't got from the things I've shown you today that vision is a God thing, let me spell it out a different way. I'm going to ask you a question. Are Adam and Eve better off before the fall or after the fall? That's a, that's a real question. I want you to think about it. Are they better off before or after? I think when you look at Scripture, they existed with God in the Garden of Eden, and then in Genesis 3, the world, the humanity falls, right? Humanity falls. We, we fall. We will never be the same. And yes, in that moment of exile, one 
could argue that Adam and Eve were better off in paradise. And in that moment, in their short-sighted, humanistic vision, they were. But I want to unpack something greater. Because God's plan for humanity is greater than our sin. God's plan for His people is greater than our fall. In every aspect of our lives, in every sentence of Scripture, God is a visionary God. He he will turn the worst situation into eternal victory. Think about that. He takes the worst situation, the worst thing you you can imagine. He doesn't create our sin, but you better believe He's going to use your sin for His glory. He takes the worst situation, turns it into an eternal victory. This is exactly what He did with the fall of Genesis, in Genesis 3. Look at what it says in Romans 5. This is verses 15 to 17, or and 17. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. For Adam and Eve, and for you and me, God gives us a taste of grace and takes us to a much greater place. Yes, better than if we had not even sinned. God calls His creation very good, only to prioritize later something greater. You can't tell me that God didn't know. I I love the line in the Bible when he, He comes back into the garden and says, where are you? He knows where we are. He knows where you are. He doesn't need to ask where you are. He knows exactly where each of us are. So for us to believe for a minute that this wasn't all part of God's plan and that His overarching plan for redemption and forgiveness and that it didn't exist when He created the world, we're naive. God doesn't make mistakes. God plans out transformation in this world and our resurrection in the world to come. And if you can't spend, if you can't prioritize your life to spend any time in between, I need you to do me a favor this week. Read Genesis 1 and 2 and then turn your Bible to the other side and read uh, Revelation 21 and 22. Read the bookends of Scripture. Only God could create a better future than the perfect one He started with. God is incredibly visionary. He is always creating. He's always carrying. And He's leading us into a much better future than we can ever imagine. Now also, vision, in addition to being a God thing, it's a human thing. But spoiler alert this morning. We are not anywhere near as good as God at casting vision. Every one of us can share this morning. If I passed a microphone, you could share what you are looking forward to. You could share vision in your mind. And we're forward-thinking people. But we are forward-thinking people, and it's a human thing because God has instilled these desires in us. You see, vision serves people. Vision is for all of us. Vision is recurring. 
Vision is exciting. Vision makes us better. Vision never ends. So vision is a God thing. It's a human thing, but it's also a relationship with God thing. Back to Genesis 1 for a second. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Because God is visionary and humans are visionaries created in his own image, we're better together. We can make a much better vision for ourselves, for our church, with God in the mix. And frankly, we can't even begin to accomplish all we can with him and through him. We can't even begin to do this. Because look at this. Look at what it says in Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. We can't even wrap our minds around all the great things that he will do for us and through us. So what is God prompting you to do this morning? What is he teaching you? What hope is he giving you? And you know what? What's he showing you about the future? What's he calling you to do this morning? And you invited me in. I was sick. And you looked after me. I needed a teacher. And you inspired me. I was lost. And you prayed for me. I was addicted, and you helped me break free. I needed a mentor, and you were there for me. I felt alone, and you showed me true community. You helped me experience the joy of worship. You made me feel welcome and safe. You gave me the strength to keep going. You led me to Jesus. disclosure, about a year ago, over a year ago, a team of people got together, uh, led by Rob Powell, to rethink some signage uh, attached to the building uh, and to begin conversations about revisioning and remissioning our church. It was exciting. It was an exciting time. And, and things through transition and, and through other things slowed down. And when I knew what was, what was stepping into place, I reached out to Rob. I said, Rob, we can't, we can't wait. 
God is preparing to do something big through Nicholson Christian Church. I know it. I feel it. And so we got back together and we put these ideas and these visions down on paper. And what I'm very excited to share with you today is the first of what's going to be five core values that help us carry out our vision. Help, we, help us carry out the next chapter of Nicholson Christian Church. Spoiler alert, January 26th is going to be a big Sunday. Be here January 26th. There's all, every Sunday's big, don't get me wrong. But I want to show you this first banner, the first of the core values that you're going to see every week is ministry. And you're going to remember that by saying the phrase, saved people serve people. And I want to bring up some truth this morning. There's a lot of people in this room that would consider themselves, themselves saved people. But you're not serving people. You haven't yet found the niche that gets you involved here within our walls in ministry. And this morning, I'm going to share with you four realities that are hard to hear, but I want you to understand the need. First, Kelly Ward. Kelly Ward uh, championed and, and jumped on board to lead WizKids this year. You all know about WizKids. WizKids is a ministry. Uh, if you don't, I'll share with you briefly. WizKids is a ministry that uh, is peer-to-peer -peer mentoring and um, reading tutoring for some of our elementary school students at Kenton Elementary. Uh, Mary Ruth and, and Petra uh, led the charge first, and once they stepped away, Rachel Heyman and, and Pam Teagarden jumped in, and, and this year, uh, Kelly Ward uh, and Mary uh, jumped in and, and sort of uh, have steerheaded the, the ministry. But I want to bring up some realizations. We are right now tutoring four uh, elementary school students, and praise God, praise God that we're mentoring four but this is drastically down than what we've been able to do. And that is not because, miraculously, they all don't need tutoring. This is because these are the number of tutors we've been able to assemble. And now, before Christmas, I learned we're actually down to two tutors. We can't even meet the needs of the four students we brought in. So Wednesday nights is WizKids night. If you know you have time and you're available, we could meet a much greater need in Kenton Elementary if we had the tutors available. Second, Something else to consider is the worship team. So Larry's been doing a wonderful job with the resources and the people that are, that are in, involved with the team, but we're always looking for instrumentalists and singers. If you're someone who carries a tune in a bucket, carry your tune in your bucket up here, all right? Come on, okay? In addition to that, back there in that tech booth, Paula Edwards has been doing every single Wednesday night rehearsal and every single Sunday morning, including first service, and Michelle typically shares second service because we only have the two of them right now. In the past six Sundays, at least, it's been longer than that, Rick Dunaway has been at the soundboard. He's the only one right now running sound on a regular basis. If you know you have these skills, if you can, and, and frankly, you see, like sometimes it's hard, right? We run media that, that acts on its own till we get a Mac. Um, <laughs> but... You can, you can probably help out by pushing a button. Addis additionally, our kids' ministry. All right, we have some awesome volunteers. Tracy Chan, where are you? There she is. Tracy. Tracy has, since I've been here at Nicholson, Tracy has taken our fourth and fifth grade class most of the time on an every week basis, but then she traded off some people with a, uh, you know, every other week or whatnot. I, w I came here in 2015. She served almost every Sunday during that time. 
Tracy had to step away recently. I told her I was going to point her out and thank her for her service because, frankly, I could not have done, I, I still say, Blake's job, my job, would not happen without the volunteer team that we have. So thank you, Tracy, for, for staying through and holding tight. means a whole lot. But we have a lot of holes in our kids' ministry. We have a lot of holes where we need adults and teenagers. We have a lot of holes to fill. Sometimes we have to close rooms because we don't have the volunteers to, to handle it. And then lastly, I want to mention guest services. Guest services is probably the most important ministry for Nicholson Christian Church moving forward. We've got to love our people, and that starts when they pull in this parking lot. That starts on a Sunday morning when they pull in this parking lot. We've got to start loving our people. So if you can hand out programs, and you can smile, and you can say welcome to Nicholson and get people connected, guest services is where you should be. So back on that table that's labeled connection point, there are sign-up sheets. Most of them are just your name, your email address, and your phone number. And, and frankly, that's, that's the information we need. But the kids' ministry page, it literally has the spots in the schedule where we need people. If you're sitting there and you say, I'm a saved people, I'm a saved person, but I'm not serving people, you're going to hear me say this a lot this morning, then today's your day. Let's change the culture. Let's flip the script. Saved people serve people. I'm off my soapbox now. I'm going to jump back in. First core value, ministry. In addition to all of these things about vision I've mentioned to you and I've shared, that it's a God thing, it's a human thing, it's a relationship with God thing. It is also a church thing. And listen, and I want you to really hear me this morning, church. I believe we are on the verge of an incredible time in the history of Nicholson Christian Church. I really hope you do as well. I have never been more excited to be a part of something, a part of a transition toward a missional community determined to change the world and the culture that is around us. I believe God is preparing our hearts for something big, but I want you to hear this this morning, church. Nurturing our inside culture must precede our outside influence. Nurturing our inside our inside culture must precede our outside influence. And listen, this isn't rocket science. Jesus has given us the model. He has shown us every step of the way in various verses from the book of Mark. Jesus lays out and demonstrates what leads to his ultimate vision. Look at this. Now, in your, on the back of your program this morning, I laid these out for you. You do not need to you know, viciously write these uh, verses down. So the verses are there, you can go through. But I'm going to read these as I go and as I unpack this a little bit. Okay, so first, Jesus declares that his life, he is going to be missional. We find this in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then we can read examples of motives for his missional work. These are the things that motivated Jesus to stay missional. Look, he's submissive. Mark 14, verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. He's also focused. Mark 2, verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. He also has a team. 
Mark 1, verse 17, follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. He's compassionate. Mark 5, verse 19, Jesus did not let him but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus also has a map. He, he shows, he demonstrates right here in this passage how he will be missional. In Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on an extra shirt. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake off the dust off your feet as a, test <laughs> as a testimony against them. I have to throw out this real quick. Um, so Kevin McKnight and, and Luther and, and a few of us got in and, and they painted the stage this week. And so if you come on the stage, we're going we're gonna to live by this. You have to shake your feet off before you get it. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but Kevin, we appreciate like, immensely the way this looks. And, and I, I thank Luther for his service. Thank you for your help. Um, so going on. So they, yes, that's awesome. I like it. So they went out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed sick people with oil and healed them. And then he has these these marks on his life. He has these characteristics that make him unique and keep him moving toward being missional. He's radically generous, right? Look at Mark 4. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. He serves the least of these. In Mark 9, sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. He's pure of heart. In Mark 9, in verse 47, and if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. And he's intentional with the gospel in Mark 16. Then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Through all of this, through these elements, through these pieces, we get the, prop, the vision proper for Jesus. We get a glimpse into what the vision is. We get that his life summarizes the better and immediate future God has in store. Look at Mark 8, verses 35 and 36. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, because of me and the gospel, will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? In Mark 10, this unravels more. Verses 29 and 30, truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, but who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. And in Mark 13, verses 24 to 27, we get a real clear picture of what's ahead. But in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So what do you see? Here's the reality. There 
are lots of feelings that surround surround vision. When you hear the word vision, you feel some way. You may be feeling some of these ways right now today as we've talked about vision. There are a lot of approaches for why we think about vision and from within these walls to ministering outside those doors. You know, there might be some today that are skeptical. You might be saying to yourself, no matter what we do, it won't matter. The world is broken. The world is dark. You, you might, there might be some of you, truthfully, that are bored. You may believe vision isn't important. You may be tired. You may say to yourself, I've been down this vision road before, and I feel burnt out. Or you may be overworked and busy. You cannot take the time to stop and think about tomorrow when you've got so much to do staying current within this minute. Or, frankly, you may be comfortable. Maybe status quo is okay. But here's the thing. There is one more feeling that we as a church need to address. One more response that many have when we discuss vision here at Nicholson. And those people are hungry. You feel God's presence working with you and through you, desiring to team up with you to flip that script, to change the culture around us. You're pushed to your best while deepening your dependence on Him. You're hungry for meaning, for progress, for hope. You believe that a better future exists because you've seen it, and you feel it, and you know it. Reality this morning is, church, I am hungry. I am hungry, and I pray you are as well, because we've got work to do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you know, we come to this spot every week. We come to this communion time, and sometimes I'm not sure that we're responding to this like we're hungry. Here's reality, church. Right in that room, right over there on a table, I have a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. You inconvenience no one by coming up here today and saying, today is my day, I want to be baptized. Because you hear this, saved people serve people, and you think, well, I'm saved, but you haven't been baptized. we got work to do. Maybe you need to recommit yourself. Maybe you need to, maybe you need to uh, decide. Maybe you need to decide today that today is the day you start walking with Christ, that you need to confess in front of all of these people here. Maybe that's today. Maybe you say, yeah, I'm saved, but I'm not serving anyone because I'm not actively following the Lord. I'm going to be right here, and I want to talk to you. I want to have a conversation about how you can be the best possible servant. And as we come today, I want you to to search in your heart. If you know, like I said before, when God asks where you are, He knows where you are. He knows where you are. So if you know you're saved but not serving, you know that you have work to do, then let's have a conversation about how we make that happen. We're going to stand together in a second, and we're going to come and take communion. The bread and the juice are here. They're also in the back. And as you get here, I want this to be 
a moment for you to pause and just to reflect, just to think, what can I do differently to make this relationship front and center in my life? Let's stand together and let's pray for our time. I pray that this is intimate for you. Make this mean something this morning. Let's pray. Father, you are all-knowing, you are sustaining, you are life-giving. You have the power to change course of hearts in this room today who need you desperately. Father, I pray, I pray for these hearts. Give them the strength to respond how you would see them respond. Father, bless this time of communion. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.